Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Forestbrook. Any uh, guests and visitors that we have with us, it's a privilege to have you with us here today. And uh, all of you old-timers, it's a privilege to have you here too. So it's just great to be here uh, together as God's people. We are uh, beginning a new series uh, today. We are spending, uh, spending this ministry year looking at what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven, primarily in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been doing that since uh, September. We're going to continue that through the end of June. But this month, we're going to be looking at uh, a different focus of, of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom that tell us about the kingdom's presence, authority, and its power. Um, uh, so the image that we had in mind for this when we were thinking about it, Rachel and I, we were thinking about the, the PowerPoint and how we wanted to convey an, an image of this what we want to talk about was the idea, we had the idea of a power outage and how timely, right? For many of us, I don't know how many of you lost power on Friday, but, but some of us were, were out for a while, some of us for a longer time than that. But that's the image that we had. We had this idea of what it's like to be sitting through a power outage, waiting for the power to be restored. Uh, so you've got all of your amenities. I know I was Jerry Fortin, Jerry and Dan were out for over 10 hours, I think it was, and she was saying they didn't have any running water and, and things like that because of, of uh, them living out in the country. And so we, at my place, we had the candles out and the flashlights out. Uh, and so you're just waiting for the power to be restored. And it's a wonderful image of what we want to talk about because the kingdom of heaven has to be more than an intellectual exercise. It has to be more than a doctrine. It has to be more than a belief system. If it has no power, then it is just sitting there, waiting. But thankfully, it isn't like that at all. It is completely empowered. And we're going to spend this month looking at the things that Jesus had to say that show us that and the incredible good news that he gives us about the nature of this kingdom. So before we begin, let's just commit this time to the Lord and invite him to speak to us through his word for the next little while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, how privileged and blessed we are to know you and call you our God. What a delight it is to be your children, to be together here as your people, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We, we want you to, to move freely and powerfully in our midst today. Lord, we want you to be lifted up. This is about you, Lord Jesus. You are the one who has won the victory for all of us and indeed for the whole world. And so our desire, Lord, is to lift you up today and let you and the Holy Spirit lead us to the Father. And so as we open your word, we thank you for it. We ask your blessing upon what is going to be said. Lord, I submit myself to you, and I pray that you would use me as your instrument. Help guide my thoughts and guide my heart as I share from your word today. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin this series by looking at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 29. So if you have a Bible or a phone app or whatever, go ahead and open it up. 
and you'll find that there. We'll also um, see it on the screen behind me. But it's pretty self-explanatory. We're just going to jump right into it here. So beginning in, in chapter 12, <clears throat> in verse 22. So then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was unable to see and unable to speak. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. I want to draw attention to specifically verse 12, or verse 28, I mean, where Jesus says, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let's park there for a little bit and talk a little bit about that. So we know the story. What happens is Jesus has brought this person... And the person's affliction is caused by a demon. And so Jesus casts out the demon and the man is healed. And people were astonished. They were blown away by this. He's accused of doing this by the power of the dark arts. By the power of Satan himself. And then he gives this parable to say, look, that doesn't work, guys. Because if a kingdom is divided against itself, it can't stand. Satan's not going around casting out Satan. And so he says, but if I cast out this demon and these demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, then know that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Now they, in that world, they understood exorcism. They had their exorcists. The Jewish had individuals who were trained and and able, most of the time, to cast out demons. But it was a much more rigorous affair. When we look at history and we look at some of the the literature that speaks about this, we find that what they used to do is these these Jewish Jewish exorcists is they had books of incantations. They would burn something, whether it would be um, a kind of herb or sulfur or something like that, right? And then they would appeal to the name of a higher authority, most often David or Solomon. Solomon was considered to be someone who had mysterious, mystical powers. And so they would appeal to David or Solomon in their exorcisms and in their rites of casting out demons out of people. And that would have been what they would have been kind of familiar with. But when Jesus came along, it was a whole new thing. It was a whole new thing. It was unprecedented. Not just in the way he did it, but that he did it so often and so frequently and so easily. And he appealed to no higher authority. He simply spoke. He simply commanded the demons to leave. So it begged the question, by whose authority was he doing this? Because he had to have some authority. It had to be coming from somewhere. The demons don't, re- don't respond to human beings that way. There had to be some higher authority that Jesus was appealing to. At least that's what they were, that's what they were asking. 
And Jesus says to them, he says, if I do this by the Spirit of God, then know that the kingdom of God is upon you. And that is key. Because what he was saying is, yes, this is a whole new thing, but it represents a new thing that God is doing. Here and now, the kingdom of heaven is here. And the Spirit of God is working in this kingdom to accomplish God's purposes. I want to give you an example from an Old Testament story in 1 Samuel 19. There aren't many places in the Old Testament where spiritual battles are discussed. It's there, and you'll find it in, in numerous places, but this is, this is a really good example of what, what I want us to think about as we think of Jesus' message here today. This is the story where Saul is out to kill David. King Saul has fallen from grace. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been taken from him, and he's being troubled now, tormented by demons. David uh, is in the palace playing music to kind of relieve the, the, the anxiety and the, and the uh, misfits that, that Saul is suffering from. But Saul, every once in a while, kind of tries to you know, take David out. And this is one of those stories. Um, in verse 8, it says this, when, Once more war broke out, and David went and fought the Philistines and struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing his harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So this wicked spirit, this evil spirit, comes upon Saul with murderous intent. And Saul tries to kill David, and David flees. In verse 18, we pick it up. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah. Samuel was the prophet at that time, the great prophet. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. When he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there, word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he went and he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men so that they also prophesied. And this word prophesied in the Hebrew means to speak or sing under inspiration. It's to have a divine impulse to just begin to worship God and begin to praise God. And so these soldiers who are sent to come and capture David, they come into the midst of these prophets with Samuel who are already in the process of praising and worshiping God and the Spirit of God comes upon them and they can't help themselves. They start to pray and worship and praise God as well. Saul was told about it, so he sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent a third time and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Sisu. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Nahoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came even upon him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all day and night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets. I want us to get this picture because sometimes we think that spiritual warfare is a contest and it's not. 
There is no contest here. There never has been. Whose authority is supreme has never been in question. So here is Saul, driven by an evil spirit, out to capture and take David. And when Saul's men come into a, a, a worshiping community and a prophesying community, they fall under the power of the Holy Spirit. They are absolutely robbed of their evil intent. Even to the point where Saul himself, in his, now in his kingly robes, and he comes, he's the king of Israel after all, and he's going to f- succeed where his men failed. And he comes into the presence of Samuel and the prophets, and they're all worshiping and prophesying, and they're praising God. And what happens? He also falls under the power of the Holy Spirit, unable to resist, to the point where he strips off his kingly garbs and lays prostrate before the Lord for a day and a night. There's no contest here. There has never been a contest between God and anything. But God made the world in such a way. He created it with a design. And he had a purpose. And we read in Genesis that when he created human beings, he said, we're going to make human beings in our image and let us give them dominion over the earth. They will be our representatives on earth. And the intention was that human beings would would steward the earth and look after the earth and they would live on the earth under the rule of God's benevolent kingdom. But we sold that. We gave that away. We sold that away for a piece of fruit. And instead, we chose a different God. And we chose a different ruler. And we chose a different kingdom. And so that kingdom has held sway. And we have been complicit as human beings with its dominion of darkness for millennia. But it was never a question of whose kingdom it's always meant to be. And you see, that's why Jesus came. In 1 John 3 and verse 8, why is this important? Why does this matter? It's because of this. For this reason the Son of Man appeared to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to undo this, to reverse this, to topple that kingdom of darkness and restore the kingdom of God on earth through human beings who would come to him and become part of his discipleship. This is what the kingdom does. It breaks the devil's hold and restores God's rule. That's what Jesus came to do. Interesting that when Jesus sent out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, we read about this. He sent out the 72 and and part of their commission was to cast out demons. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But they came back after doing that and they reported to Jesus. They said, wow, even the demons submit to us in your name. And what is, isn't it interesting what Jesus' answer was to them, his response? He said, look, don't rejoice at that. Rejoice that your names are written 
in heaven. You see, the, the, the casting out of the demons, the, the, the removal of, of the kingdom of darkness, that was not the thing that was the most noteworthy or the thing that needed to be celebrated. The thing that needed to be celebrated was that the kingdom of heaven was being restored on earth. That the kingdom of God had come and it was moving from person to person, from place to place, restoring humanity and restoring the world to the divine benevolent rule of God. And part of doing that was you had to get rid of the darkness. You had to move out and evict the forces that were there in order for the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven to come in. And that's what Jesus did. What are the works of the devil? What are the works of the devil? We're not ignorant of these things. The Bible gives us all kinds of insight into what this kingdom of darkness looks like, how it operates, and how it holds people captive. All kinds of them. We're told that he blinds the whole world. That he's a liar and the father of lies. He's a a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a tempter. He thwarts and frustrates the work of the Holy Spirit. He undermines the things of God. He's a schemer. He's an accuser. He holds people prisoner. He's pretentious and vain. He afflicts with illness and with suffering. And he masquerades as an angel of light. All of these are the the presentations, the way the devil presents himself, the way the kingdom of darkness shows itself in our world. And we're surrounded by that. And Jesus has triumphed over all of these by the cross. In Colossians 2 verse 15 it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. They are disarmed. They are disarmed in and by Jesus. And they are exposed. We are no longer in darkness. We are no longer blind to them. We are no longer um, their witless prey. We are able to recognize the works of the devil. We are, rec- we are able to resist the works of the devil. We are able to withstand the works of the devil. And we are able to destroy the works of the devil because Jesus has already done it. He has already triumphed over them and made a public spectacle of them. Every single one. There was never a contest and there isn't a contest now. But so what? So what? What practical good is is it for you and I to know this about the kingdom of heaven? How does that intersect your and my life? What difference does that make for you and for me? Well, here's where it gets good. Because you and I need to understand that the presence of the kingdom of heaven on earth provokes spiritual conflict. It provokes spiritual conflict. It stirs the pot. It angers the devil. It gets the devil, you know, and his forces on the defensive and on the attack because they don't want to give their ground away easily. They put up a fight. And we see that throughout the New Testament as the, as the church advances and as the disciples go out 
They're being opposed, they're being frustrated, they're being thwarted, and it's no different for us today. I know a number of years ago when we were looking at our ministries and as God was kind of calling us back as a church and saying, you know, you need me in what you're doing, and so we were praying for that, and I said, I remember at a leadership event, I said, make sure you pray for whatever it is that you're, you're doing, whether it's a, a retreat or whether it's a, a small group or whether it's a, 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 a geo-lunch, whatever it is, pray. Because we need God to be in the midst of this. We need to understand how God is at work in this. But we also need to understand how this might be opposed. Let's pray against that. We're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. Because we should expect that when we are doing anything for the kingdom of heaven, anything in Jesus' name, it is going to be opposed. And so if we're trying to be salt and light in our workplace and we have a boss or a manager or a particular employee, someone we work with, who's really in our face about that. That shouldn't surprise us. In our schools, if we're trying to be Christ followers in our schools and our universities, and we find that it's an oppressive environment where people really don't want to hear it, it shouldn't surprise us that that's what it's like. If we have family members who jeer and make fun of us because we're, we're, we're followers of the way and we, and we want to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us that people are opposed to that and that people are resisting what we are trying to do for the kingdom of heaven. But we need to remember that part of the commissioning of the disciples that Jesus gave to them was to take his authority over the kingdom of darkness and apply it in the world they lived in. Apply it where they went. In Matthew 10, in verse 1, it says that Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons and heal every illness and disease. Jesus gave them the authority. They didn't have it of themselves. It wasn't anything they could do for themselves. Which is why in Luke chapter 10, when they came back, they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. Because they were exercising that authority that had been given to them by Jesus. A, a victory that he had already won. They were merely proclaiming it and bringing it into fruition in the world. And they were being successful at it. They were being successful at it. How? How do we fight such spiritual battles? How do, we, how do we fight them? Well, there's three things I'll mention here. First of all is to recognize the devil's work. Recognize it and call it for what it is. We've been, you know, in our journey as a church to understand better and to live better what it means to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. To be a, a people that are, are spirit-focused and spirit-led one of the byproducts of that is that we do grow in our ability to discern. We do grow in spiritual awareness. We do grow in spiritual eyesight. We grow in the ability to perceive the unseen world more than we could before. And so one of the things that I've told the story of Kathy before. Kathy is a great a woman of faith who for many, many years, you know, she would talk about these, these God sightings. When she would see something happen... That she would, you know, whether it was an answered prayer or whether it was a blessing or whatever it was, she was the one who would point it out and say, that's a God sighting. That's God who did that. 
And the, you know, the tendency for, for most of us carnal people like me would be to kind of say, ah, coincidence, coincidence. And I've learned to repent of that and, and, and stop doing that. And when I see where God is working to call it out and say it for what it is, that's God, that's a blessing, that's answered prayer. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Call it out for what it is. And the flip of that is true as well. We also become more, more discerning and more aware of where the devil is at work. Where those works of the devil are also being, being exercised. Where he's at work. And that also we need to call out for what it is. So Jesus and Peter. Peter, Jesus says, who am I? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you, or Paul, or Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You'll remember that from the Gospels. And Jesus said, Peter, you didn't come to that on your own. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Blessing. There's God at work. Awesome. Wonderful. And then he goes on to begin to talk about how the Son of Man has to suffer and die. And what does Peter say? Never. Never going to happen. Not going to let it happen. What did Jesus do? He said, get behind me, Satan. For you don't have your mind on the things of God. He immediately recognized that the devil was working through Peter to try and frustrate and thwart God's plan. And he called it out. He called it for what it was. The ability to see and discern and call out the presence of God, the blessing of God, the working of the Holy Spirit, and also the contrary. We have that ability. We have that ability. And we need to learn how to exercise that ability and recognize it. It could be in our family. It could be in our marriage. It could be in, in our workplace. Maybe it's even going on in us where we've got some, some, um, some sin that we just simply can't break. We just can't get past the bondage of it. And could it be that the devil's at work there and, and he's the one who's, who's holding that on to us? Or we've got a temper that just flies off the handle and we have no idea why. We just lose it. I've been very public about my driving. And I've told you about that. And um, I, am, I am telling you, there's a spiritual battle every time I get in the car. And I, I know you laugh, and I know, but I'm beginning to take it seriously. I am so impatient when I drive. And I get behind, I get behind, and I know the spiritual discipline for that is just stay in the line. Just stay, in, but people are driving so slow. So, and I've told you this, I'm aware of this, right? So I'm, I'm cognizant of it, and, and I'm listening to worship music and, and all this kind of stuff, doing everything I can to win this battle, right? And I, I kid you not, every once in a while, I'll be behind somebody, and, and something will just come up in me and just say, this person's going too slow, and I am not happy with this person, right? And, and I'm at the point where I go, wait a second, uh, okay, this is getting to be more than a joke because it's happening all the time, right? And it's a battle that, you know, I, I don't want the devil to win. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a small example. Thank, you know, thank God that it's a small example. But that's the way the devil works. He works through temptation. He works through all kinds of things 
uh, to, to try and frustrate us and frustrate what God wants to do in and through us and around us. But we can recognize it. We can call it for what it is. Right? We can name it for what it is. And we pray. And we pray. This is our primary weapon. Is prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, wonderful passage about the armor of God. And when you look at it, what does it say? Why do we put on this armor? What is it that we do so that we can take our stand and pray? And pray. Because it's not our authority. It is the authority of Jesus that he's given to us that we are able to exercise. Right? That we are able to exercise. But we pray. We'll talk about that in a second as well. And we proclaim the victory that Christ has won over the dominion of darkness by the cross. The victory is total. The victory is there. He's already defeated them. They are already defeated foes. Every temptation, every assault, everything that, that comes from the kingdom of heaven is all, or from the kingdom of darkness is already defeated in the kingdom of heaven because of Christ. Because he took all of that on himself and defeated the devil on the cross and won victory over him and laid bare all of his devices. Exposed them. Made a spectacle of them. So that now they could be recognized. They're no longer hidden. They can be identified. They can be named. They can be called out. They can be resisted. They can be overcome. They can be banished. But because God made us in his image, and because God gave us dominion over the earth, we have to actually lay claim to that. We exercise that. We invoke that. We claim that. We have the ability in our homes and in our marriages and in our families and in our workplaces and in our schools to with whatever is within our spheres of influence, we have the ability to in, invite and welcome the presence of the kingdom of heaven and banish and dismiss the forces of the kingdom of darkness. And when we exercise the authority that Jesus has given us, the kingdom of darkness won't like it. They might thrash about a bit and they might fight us back. But ultimately, they cannot withstand and they cannot prevail. So what are our next steps? Um, I've asked Rachel to put up on Right Now Media a, a seven-part study by Pete Briscoe on spiritual warfare, which is there for you to, to check out if you want to. Um, Pete Briscoe is the son of... Um, Stuart and Jill Briscoe, many of us would know Stuart and Jill from their years as, as wonderful, wonderful Bible teachers. And Pete is following in that example, uh, has a, a ministry and, and an, a number of online things. But he's just got this great biblical exposition of Ephesians chapter 6 and spiritual warfare and the armor of God. It's well worth checking out if this is a subject that you want to learn more about and be more uh, apprised of. I would really... I uh, encourage you to check that out. And the other thing is to ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. If any of this is touching you or ringing a bell or connecting with you in a way where you're kind of going, you know what, I think I, think I might need to know more about that or I might need to under there might be something to that going on in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my workplace, then come and talk to us. 
Let us listen with you. Let us discern with you. Let us pray with you. Let us ask God to show and, and ask for discernment about what's going on in your life or in your situation. We try to do that as church leaders on behalf of the church. Asking God to show us. We don't trust just our own eyesight. We're asking God to lead and God to show and God to, 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 to take this church where he wants it to go. It's his church. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Which is what the original language actually says. Inviting God's kingdom, asking for God's kingdom to come also involves the conquest conquest and conflict that comes with the present kingdom of darkness that needs to be displaced but we can do that we can do that as disciples of Jesus as followers of Jesus he has given us the authority and the ability to do that but it is ours to exercise it is ours to take up As we go to communion today, I want to encourage us to think about something. I want to go to John chapter 12 as we uh, lead into our time in communion. And just take a minute or two to think about something that Jesus says here in John chapter 12. He says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The closer that Jesus got to the cross, the heavier his heart became. We know the struggle that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with what he was about to undertake and what he was about to go through. But Jesus knew the stakes. He knew, he knew the cost. He knew what he had to do. And God gave him the help and the ability in the end to be able to do it. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus said this, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. (laughs) I love that. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to my, or I will draw all men to myself. Total victory. Total victory over the evil one. And all of the works of darkness, all of the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus went to the cross, he won an absolute victory. Complete and total. Now The devil will be driven out. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The kingdom of God had come. The restoration of what God had intended for humanity from the very beginning was now possible in Christ. Human beings, under the benevolent authority of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. 
And Jesus made that possible. And Jesus gave that message and he gave that authority and he gave that power to his disciples as we'll hear more in the next couple of weeks. And he said, now you take it and you go out. You proclaim it. You plant it. And watch it grow. That's what we're about today. That's what you and I are supposed to be all about in this lifetime. Right now, this week, wherever we are. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Bringing this kingdom to earth. And though we might have opposition... It is temporary and it is passing because the victory is assured and if you and I will proclaim it and persist, we will see it. We will see it. We're going to do communion in stations today and as I invite you to the communion tables, whichever one you want to go to, I want to ask you this question. What victory do you need to embrace in your life today? What are you struggling with? What what of the works of the devil are still nagging at you in your life today? And let today be the day that because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you claim that victory. You say, no more. Satan, get behind me. I want the things of the kingdom of God. I want the things that Jesus has already won for me to be true in my life. Get behind me. And as you go to the table and you take the bread and you take the wine, take that victory. Let Jesus' blood free you. There's a little card you can take with you after you've done communion if you want just to remind you and it's a couple of passages just to kind of remind us after today uh, that this this is God's word, this is God's truth. This isn't Kevin's truth, this is God's truth. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's his promise. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So whatever is holding you up. Whatever is holding you back, whatever toehold or fingerhold or foothold the devil has in your life, if you let Jesus today, he'll set you free of it. He'll put you back on level ground and give you a fighting chance to overcome it. Let's pray for the elements and then I invite you to come to the table. Heavenly Father, we pray your kingdom come. Lord, we we want your kingdom to come and we know that it begins with us. May you have dominion over us. May your will be done in each of us. Holy Spirit, help us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God.
Not out of fear, but out of love. Because what you have done for us is set us free from things that are meant to harm us. Things that are set against us. Things that are actually trying to destroy us, body and soul. And you did not want that to happen. And so you made a way. And that way is through the shed blood of Jesus, through the broken body of Jesus, through his dead body on the cross. He overcame and drove out the devil and the kingdom of darkness. And so, Lord, we, we today, as we take of the emblems of the bread and of the juice, we, we receive that freedom. We receive that new life. We ask and invite Holy Spirit that you would touch us in every part of our lives that need to have the light restored and the darkness exposed and driven out. We reject it. We repudiate it. We ask to be free of it. We command it to leave. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us. We ask you to fill us from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. We ask you to fill this church. We ask you to fill us as your people. May we know your kingdom in ourselves so that we can go out and proclaim it to others where it is so, so desperately needed. And all of this through communion. And that, Lord, is because what we're about to do takes us right back to the very heart of Jesus. He wanted us to have this. He wanted to do this for us. He wanted to set us free. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. We receive this communion. We receive the freedom that you give us. We receive the blessings that you want for us. And we thank you. In your name, amen.